Okay, so I want to show you a car. I'm not a, a big car guy, but you know, like I appreciate you know cars. Um, there is a car that we'll, we'll put on the screen here called a Bugatti Chiron. Bugatti Chiron. It's French, Chiron, you know. But this is um, 1,600 horsepower. It is the fastest car in the world. It, there's only 16 of them that have been made. And it, it was the first car to break the 300-mile-an-hour threshold. It, will, it topped out at 304 miles an hour. Three, that's fast, by the way. I don't know if you, if you know that. Like, you're not driving up I-65 at 304 miles an hour. And uh, by the way, it, it, it just cost uh, $4 million. And so, uh, boy, you, car prices have really gone up. Isn't it crazy how, I mean, it's just crazy. I don't even know that the price of this one's changed. It's just kind of the same. You know, if you're in the market or anything, uh, you could look, look this way to the Bugatti. So, um, I want you to imagine for a minute that I took you to an empty racetrack. And uh, there sat this Bugatti uh, Chiron. And there it is. And I said, hey, do you want to drive it? And you'd say, yeah, yes. Yes, nobody says no. Nobody says no. Yes, the answer is yes. And so imagine as you, you know, just ran your hand down the smooth aerodynamic sideline of that car. And you think, I've never touched anything like that before. Imagine as you, you know, slide down into the driver's seat and put your hands and dent them into that real leather. And I, and I hand you the keys, and the key fob looks like something off a sci-fi movie, you know, that we've never seen before. And you grab that, and you shut the door, and now you're closed in this um, soundproof cockpit that looks like something on a spaceship. And you're, and you're sitting there... And you go to crank the car and it won't crank. And your mind starts to race and you think, what, 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 how, this is one of the greatest marvels of engineering genius ever in world history. And how would it not crank? And, and you think, maybe I need to put my foot on the brake. Maybe I need to, is there something I'm doing? And then all of a sudden, this moment of panic hits you and you think, oh no. And one fell swoop. I broke a Bugatti and thrust myself into lifelong poverty. Like I'll never, I'll never recover from breaking this $4 million car. And about that time, I peck on the window and I say, Oh, I forgot to tell you, it's out of gas. We don't have any gas. Well, you'd be very disappointed and angry with me. We wouldn't be friends anymore, I'm sure. However... Imagine how weird it is to sit behind the wheel of this engineering masterpiece and you look at it and the leather and the comfort of the seat and the mechanics and the refinement. This car has everything it needs to do something incredible, to do something great. But it's something as simple is just not having gasoline in the engine has prevented it from doing anything. It's a weird feeling. You ever run out of gas? It's a weird feeling to sit there and everything is ready to go. The lights come on, the horn works, the you know, everything's there, the seat's comfortable, but it just the car just won't go. 
That, that reminds me so much of the times that we live in. You, you and I have been designed by God for greatness. But if we live on empty, we're never able to experience. We're never able to know. We're never able to fulfill the potential that God's given us if we're empty on the inside. Now, this uh, times we're living in seems to have just, you know, worn a lot of people down. Pandemic life is hard. Pandemic living is hard, and it leaves us running on empty. But you and I have the capacity. We're not just a temporary physical body. We are an eternal spirit. And we have the capacity to know God. And we have the, the capacity to experience His love. We have the capacity to experience deep internal peace and satisfying joy and true love. We have the capacity for all of those things. But like a car that doesn't have any gas, it doesn't matter what our capacity is if we're running on empty on the inside. And so in this series, we've been looking at this prayer that Paul the Apostle prayed in Ephesians chapter 3 and asking ourselves the question, what can we learn about prayer and what can we learn about this life that Paul was praying for, for those early Christians and for us? Ephesians 3.19 is another part of that prayer I want to look at today. Uh, it says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. In other words... To know this love that surpasses knowledge, how do you know something that's unknowable? What it means is, is that the love of God is so profound and so pure and so rich and so deep that you and I, although we can grow in it the rest of our life, will never know all of it. Because it's, it's that much. It's that good. It's that profound. And then he goes on to say that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You may be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. Now, we've been talking about unlimited prayer. We talked about unlimited power. We talked about unlimited love. Today, I want to talk to you about unlimited fullness. I want you to wrap your mind around this for a minute. Paul's actually praying, and we can learn to pray that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Uh, Armitage Robinson said, No prayer that's ever been framed has uttered a bolder request. Like, this is, this is a big prayer. <laughs> this is a massive prayer. This might be the biggest prayer of the entire Bible, that you and I, finite little human people, can somehow be filled, full, of, of not just God, but the fullness of God. It's a, it's a profound thing to think about. So how can, you and I, how can you and I live this prayer? How can you and I prevent being sucked into the emptiness of the times we live in? Let me give you three thoughts this morning about that. Number one, first, we have to, we have to, invest, we have to invest in our inner life. Invest in your inner life. I think our, I'm sorry, I think our screen's out for some reason. So um, if you're taking notes, I'll try to repeat it a couple times so you can get it. Number one, invest in your inner life. 
I don't know if you've noticed as I have, but the world seems to scream at us, um, this is all there is. So live your best life now. You kind of get that flavor and feeling in our culture. You know, be, drink and be merry because tomorrow we die. Like, if you're ever going to do it, you might as well do it now because nobody's guaranteed tomorrow. And there's this, there's this um, we live in this world where there's screams all around us that, that you've got to take advantage of today because today's all there is. The physical world is all there is. We're, we're running out of time. We're running out of opportunity. And the world screams at, at us. Uh, FOMO is a growing epidemic. Fear of missing out. We look, you see Facebook and social media, and you see everything that everybody else is doing, and you get this panic feeling, this anxiety feeling that I'm not really living my best life. And so everything around us is pulling on us to move to the outside, to focus on the external, to focus on the temporary, to focus on the physical world and forget about anything else. But if you're going to live this prayer, we've got to invest in our inner life. We live in times that are incredibly short-sighted. 1 Timothy 4.8 says this, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value. Look at this. For what? What's that word? What's that little word? All. For all things. Training in godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. We have to live like that. If we want to live this prayer, if we want to walk in the fullness of God, then we've got to live like the internal world is more important than the external world. We've got to live like the eternal is more important than the immediate. We, we, have, we have to live a different life. We have to live through a different lens. We have to live with different priorities. We tend to run from one external thing to another external thing to another external thing, living in the hustle and bustle, running more errands, improving our work life, uh, uh, exercising, trying to improve our health. And this scripture already said that's a good thing to do. doesn't mean that all the things that we do are bad. It just seems like most of the things we do have one thing in common. They're external and they're temporary. And they're not eternal, and they're not internal. And so, um, when I was a, a young pastor, I, I ran into an author, not literally, but I came across his book and heard his story. His name was Gordon McDonald. You've probably never heard of him. May have no reason to ever heard of him. He was a pastor in the 70s and 80s, and he had a moral failure. He had an affair, and it, it nearly wrecked his whole life. But un, unlike so many other stories, this one actually ends good. He went through the full restoration process. He submitted himself to accountability. He was fully restored to ministry. And uh, he continued to live out his ministry life once he went through all the appropriate steps. His marriage was saved. His family was saved. His ministry was saved. And in, uh, uh, in the mid-1990s, he wrote a series of books and I came across it uh, late in the 90s. The book was called Restoring Joy. And in the book, he says this. The reason that he had a moral failure is because he focused so much of his life on the external and he neglected the internal. 
He neglected his inner. He said, although externally he was doing very well as a pastor, he was doing well. His church was growing, and every you know external measurement, he was successful. He said, but internally his life was in shambles. Internally, his inner world was broken. And so he went through this restoration journey. Now that might sound odd to you, and you say, Man, I thought, I thought pastors were supposed to know better. I, I, I want you to know something. Pastors have the best reason on earth to neglect their inner life. And you know what it is? There's always more ministry to do. There's always more people to serve. There's always more ministries to build. There's always more people to reach. And so if you're not careful, even in the middle of it, you can neglect the most important thing because you're trying to do the, a good thing. And so... His life was restored and his ministry was saved, but I, it's the first time in my life as a young pastor I had ever heard the phrase inner world, inner life. I'd never heard those phrases. It didn't show up in my bachelor's degree anywhere, it didn't show up in my theology classes anywhere. Inner life, inner world. And he equated his inner world to a garden. And he says, your, your spiritual life, your inner life is like a garden. Nobody goes and fixes a garden in one day. But what you do is you go and you visit it. And as you go and you pull the weeds, and you go and you plant, and you go and you water, and you go and you fertilize, and you go and you tend to it, over time that garden begins to grow and begins to become lush and green, and rich, and in season it blooms, and it produces fruit. And he equated, and that picture has stuck with me all these years, of the, of the inner world being a garden that we tend. And so you don't go and do your devotions once, you don't go and read your Bible once, you don't go and pray once, and that's it, man, you're good, you're locked in. There was a problem, you took the pill, there's the cure. That's not how it works. It works like a relationship. And you go and invest in your inner world over time. And over time, it expands and it flourishes and it grows. And you have this beautiful thing that happens. By the way, Gordon McDonald's in his 80s now. And he's still ministering. And he's still helping people and mentoring young pastors and all of those things. And if you, if you want to know why, why do we have so many Christian leaders having moral failures today? I don't know that I know all the answers, but I can tell you what I think Gordon McDonald would say. I think he would say neglect of the inner world. Neglect of the inner life. Why do you think it is that the American church has become so ineffective and so unable to impact our culture? I think Gordon McDonald would say it's a neglect of the inner world. It's a neglect of the inner life. Celebrity and cultural and inauthentic Christianity is crushing the church, at least in our culture. And so we have to invest in our inner world. We have to invest in our inner If we're ever going to walk in the fullness, we're not going to walk around running on empty, walking in the fullness of God. And the fullness of God doesn't come from the outside, it comes from the inside. You know, through... Um, the many years of pain and struggle that, that I've gone through and our family's gone through, I, I've, no one knows the whole story. Of, of My little wife's in a nursing home today. I talked to her this morning before we 
came to, came to church. The journey that we've been on has been more dark and more difficult than anybody knows. And when I look back, there are two things that helped me. Two things that helped me kind of anchor. One of them is that over time I've invested in my inner life. It doesn't mean it's perfect. It doesn't mean I've always done it perfect because I haven't. But, but I'll take you back to when I was in college where it started. I remember hearing somebody in our college say, the average pastor prays 10 minutes a day. And I heard that, and I didn't come from a pastor's home, and I didn't come from a, you know, my home wasn't very Christian, and I didn't have a lot of depth and background, and I heard that, and it shocked me, because my picture of like a, a, a pastor or somebody was like a spiritual giant. And I heard that, and I went, how, how, you know, I'm like 20 years old, and I think, how can it be that the average pastor prays 20, uh, 10 minutes a day? Of course, I also thought, if that's what the average pastor does, what does the average Christian do? And then, I, and then it scared me. It, li- it literally scared me. Fear motivated me, because I thought, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that. And then I looked at my own prayer life, and I went, I better, I better do something now. And so I started to invest in my internal and in my inner world. I started to have regular prayer times, and I started to read the Bible and, and study the Bible and meditate on Scripture, and I spent time fasting, and I, I started to journal. I went through about seven years where I journaled uh, three to four times a week. And, and I, uh, for years, I've met with a spiritual director, and um, I've practiced solitude, and I've practiced silence, and I've listened to worship music, and, uh, and, I've, and I've invested, I've read books, And I've invested, and so look, listen to me for a minute. When my life fell apart, when my greatest fears became real, I didn't have to try to go find God. Because I knew where He was. Because I had grown a little garden. And there was a little garden inside my soul that I could go sit in and rest and I could rest and hide, and, and it wasn't always great. It wasn't always pretty, and there were times I was mad at God and all the things that you probably would imagine and some you wouldn't even imagine. And it wasn't perfect, and I'm not saying I'm the perfect example, but I'm saying I know from experience that one of the things that's anchored me is, and held me to this point is that I, I invested in and I'm just trying to say to you, if you'll invest in your inner life, it'll produce fruit. And it'll, and it'll anchor you. Now, the other thing that's, that saved me is being a part of a great church. Having a church family who surrounds me and, and loves my family and has lifted my hands up when mine are too tired to raise and interceded and loved and given space. Listen, when we at King would say life is better together, it's not like a, 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 it's not like a fortune cookie saying. When we say it, we mean it because we've lived it. Life is better together. I'll say it till I die. Life is better together. Right? It's better together. We, we got testimonies all over the place from it. So when we say, hey, spend some time building relationships because that's what matters, and we have life groups and we try to get you to get in a life group, we're not just trying to like grow a program. 
It's actually easier. It'd be easier to lead our church if we just shut all the groups because it takes work to run groups. It'd be easier. But it's not better. What's better is that we root in with each other's life and we do life together and we become the people of God together. That's actually what's better. So invest in the, in the internal and invest in the eternal. Because that's where the fruit of life is going to come. So spend time learning to pray, praying. Spend time reading your Bible. Spend time gathering with other believers. Spend time worshiping. Spend time on the... Do not neglect the inner world. Spend time building relationships with other Christians. John 15, 5 says it like this. Jesus said this. He said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Listen, you remain in me and I in you. You will bear much fruit. Now look, apart from me, you can do nothing. What does that mean? Like you can't go to work without God? You can't drive your car without God? That's not what it means. That's not what it means. You can't do anything that matters for eternity without God. So I want you to imagine something. Imagine spending your entire life be working hard and being tired and being busy only to come to the end of it and having produced nothing. Nothing of eternal value. Nothing of eternal significance. If it won't last forever, how much does it really matter? Because there'll be another generation that'll come behind us and another one that'll come behind us and another one will come behind us and they'll, it'll forget all about us. And the only thing that'll stand are the things that we've done for eternity. That's the only things that are actually going to last. You can't earn God's fullness. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. But I, I want you to know this, and I want, I want to say this directly. God doesn't give his fullness to people who spend their life chasing temporary things. We can't pursue the temporary things and walk in the fullness of God. It's an internal reality. So, number two. How do, we, how do we live this prayer? Recenter your life in the love of God. Recenter your life in the love of God. What does this mean? Verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, we've talked about that, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So, in this verse, when you read fullness of God, what it means is spiritual maturity. If you go to Ephesians chapter 4, you'll see the same word used in the same way. Fullness of God means spiritual maturity. So here's what I'm going to suggest. There's only one path. If you study the Bible, there's only one path to spiritual maturity. There's only one. Here's the path to grow in love. You cannot be a spiritually mature Christian and unloving. Like it's, that's, that doesn't exist. That's not a real thing. So love is the only path. So watch this. What if we defined spiritual maturity in a new way? What if we didn't define it by the external things that we often see and do? What if we defined it by the internal reality of love? What if we only considered people spiritually mature who lived a lifestyle of receiving and giving God's love? 
So what we oftentimes do is we'll see a person of great intellect who can maybe explain uh, theological things in academic or in intellectual ways and we'll think, man, did you hear the way? They said things about the Bible I've never even heard. I don't know anything. I didn't know anything about that. Man, that is incredible. That's not the same thing as spiritual maturity. Articulation, the ability to communicate. You might hear, so, did you hear that guy? Did you hear that lady? Did you hear the way that she debated that atheist and she won that debate? Did you see that? That is a special skill and that is a great knowledge and it is a needed thing, but it does not make that person spiritually mature. They might be broken. You see a person with great talent. Man, if I could sing, if I could play, if I could write, if I could do something the way this person said, I had that gift. Man, when they do their gift, when they do their talent, man, people are, it's impactful. Did you see, wow, did you see that? Then they walk off their, the stage and the people closest to them don't want to be around them. Is that spiritual maturity? You have people who become great leaders. In other words, they have a knack for mobilizing and getting things done. And, and they're, they're able to lead with great effectiveness. It doesn't mean that they're spiritually mature. Or what about the it people? You know, we live in a TikTok world. What about the it people with great charisma? They're influencers. They influence. Look how many followers they have. Look how many fans they have. Man, they are the, if you could ever just be around them, man, they can command a following. It doesn't mean that they're spiritually mature. How's their marriage? Do, uh, how's their children? How are their relationships? How are their coworkers? What do the people that are closest to them think? Because if they're not living a life of love, what if we measured spiritual maturity by love? Not by anything else, but by love. I mean, what good would it do if you and I were able to scientifically create some kind of medical breakthrough or if we were able to lead a large company or if we were able to write a best-selling book but the people closest to us hated us? What good would it do? It would mean, it would mean that we haven't even come to the beginning of spiritual maturity. What if we measured spiritual maturity by love and nothing else. So what I'm saying here, if you want to walk in the fullness of God, you've got to reorganize and reprioritize your life around love. You've got to reorganize your values. You've got to reorganize your priorities. You've got to make decisions based on what is what does love say? What would love do? It's a different, it's a different uh System. It's a different way of thinking. Ephesians chapter 3, the prayer is about God's love. Listen, it basically says this. Paul is praying for the power of the Holy Spirit to fill us with Jesus until we're full of love so that we can glorify God. That's the prayer. Your life will never glorify God so much as it does when you're centered in love. When you live a loving life. That's the only way to live in the fullness of God is to recenter your priorities around God's love. So now here's the last one. Exercise faith in an unlimited God. Exercise, you want to live in the fullness of God. You want to walk this prayer out in your life. You want to pray this prayer for other people. Exercise faith in an unlimited God. You know why our prayers can be unlimited? Because God's unlimited. 
God knows no limit. God has no boundary. God has no, there's nothing that God can't do. Verse 20 of Ephesians 3, listen to this part of the prayer. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. God's ability to act is greater than your ability to ask. God's ability to do is bigger than your imagination. So your prayers are never going to match God's ability because you and I can't even imagine what God can do. So our prayers are never going to be as big as God. Now to him who's able... So the fullness of God can, can live in us in an unlimited way because our God is able to do more than we can even imagine. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. You want to walk in the fullness of God? Pray big prayers. Man, pray big prayers. Because I don't care. Just sit and think sometimes and say, I wonder how I could make this prayer bigger. And when you do make it bigger, it's still smaller than God's ability to do it. Your prayer's never going to match his ability. So pray big prayers. You have somebody in your life, you look, you go, man, that look, they have deconstructed their faith and they'll never be a Christian again. Or that person has been so hard-hearted as long as I've known them, so broken, where they came from, what they've been through, I can't see how they're ever going to be a Christian. Pray for their salvation because our God can do immeasurably more than you and I can think or imagine. Pray big prayers. Pray big prayers. We sang it earlier, pray breakthrough prayers. You got a circumstance that's been chronically the same way for years, an addiction that you fought for decades, pray big prayers. Pray big prayers. Pray prayers that reflect the unlimited nature of our God. Why would we pray anything else? And as your prayer life grows into bigger and bigger prayers, you will walk into deeper fullness of God. You will walk into a greater understanding of His fullness. This morning, yesterday, as I was praying, God seemed to just put something on my heart that I want to I share with you, I want to minister to you, and I want to pray it over you. I want to ask you to stand. If you're online today, our, our prayer team is, is there, live, present. And I want to encourage you, if you have a, a big prayer that you want to pray, go to the comment section and put it in, and our prayer team is going to meet you there in agreement and pray with you. Maybe you have something that you say, well, if it's only big things, this is too small. I want to encourage you, go there, and, and uh, our prayer team wants to meet you there to pray for you. But I, I want to... I want to pray a specific prayer for those online and, and you in the room. As I was praying about this service, the Holy Spirit just seemed to, to highlight something in my heart. And um, I've been asking Him how I might bring this and minister this to you. You know, through the pandemic, there's a lot of people that we've talked about. People in the medical field have just been heroes and have been beaten up in so many ways and I think that would include mental health and teachers and I've read about schools where teachers um, the reason the school has had to close and go online is because all their teachers too many of their teachers have COVID are gone and their backups are gone and 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 we've talked about children 
you know, what about uh, the five-year-old, the eight-year-old, the kindergartner, the middle schooler, the going through adolescence? We don't know what it's like to grow up in a world like this, and we're not going to know the effect uh, until later, the impact. Um, it, it's just, it's a difficult time to grow up. But there's one group of people I don't think I've ever said much about, and I just felt the Holy Spirit's prompting to say it and to pray it. And that is, there's a group of people who are, who are heroes, who have walked day in and day out, oftentimes tirelessly, through all of this mess that we've been two years now in, and that's parents. And I just want to say a word to parents. Parents that are online, I want to say a word to you. Parents of the little one that, you know, you're anxious about starting kindergarten or developmentally they've missed some things academically and you go what are we going to do and you know children who have nightmares and have grown up in a world that's scary maybe more scary than the world that you and I grew up in kids who enter adolescence and puberty during this time and then kids that graduate high school you know in one of these years when you assume the responsibility for the the mental emotional physical and spiritual well-being of another person you've taken on an awesome job and I just want to say this to parents this is hard okay if you ever wake up discouraged you ever wake up tired you ever wake up wondering if you're a good enough parent or if you've done enough or all the things that you wonder that you can't even think of to do I just want to say a few things to you first this is hard this is really hard. It's a really hard time to be a parent. It's a very hard time to be a parent. I want to say another thing to you. We need you so much. And the ministry that you do is so precious and it's so valuable to God and it's so special. And some of you are single parents. I, because of my wife's illness, I functioned like a single parent through a lot of my kids' adolescent years. And it's, it can be brutal because you go, I don't even have anybody to talk to to ask, is this the right thing to do? And some of you are in blended families. And look, I just want to say this for a minute. This is hard. And you probably need to give yourself a little bit of a break because you're probably doing better than you think you are. And then I want to speak over you today. You, you are on the front line of one of the most valuable ministries the world will ever know. And that's shaping another life. And that's what you're trying to do for your child. And so I want to say this to you. God's grace to you and His blessing on you and His favor on you and His love on you and He has a heart for you and He has compassion for you and Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and lifting you up and the Holy Spirit is present for you and He's there to, to move, to overwhelm all of your fears to calm all of your nerves and He has a way to make all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to His purpose. So let's believe him in these days, he's going to do the same thing. God did not bring your child in this world for destruction. He brought your child in this world for blessing. And so we speak that blessing over your kids today and over you as a mom or dad. Can I just pray for you? I want to pray for you. Lord, I pray today for online, every parent that's watching and being a part of this service and re-watching later. And I pray for every parent in this room. God, I ask you today that your special mercy would be felt and experienced. 
I pray that you would refresh the, the physical body and the mind and the emotion. I pray that you would renew, Lord, the, the intercession and the prayer of the parent over the child. Lord, I pray that you would refresh love. I pray today that you would give an overwhelming sense of your love to moms and dads so that they may simply give away what they're receiving. God, surround today with your love. Surround today with courage. Surround today with peace. Surround today with destiny. You have a purpose. Your purposes are eternal and they continue on through pandemic or no pandemic. And God, we speak these things over moms and dads today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Man, if you receive that, would you just say, I receive that. Hey, we-